Okay, so we've been going through this fasting series, um, and P. Kenny started the series, and, and he started by defining what fasting is. And he said that in fasting, we give up the legitimate pleasures of the world for the extreme pleasure of, of knowing God. He shared that how through fasting, we get to know God, and that we fast because we need God. I was like, did the game start already? <laughs> he said that we fast because we need God. And if you guys remember, he talked about, about the nutty professor. How could we not forget the joy that he had in having the nutty professor? Then P. Sam followed up and he spoke about fasting as, as formation. That fasting challenges our self-centeredness and teaches us to sacrifice and so today I continue our series on fasting. And so the title of today's message is, The Old Cannot Contain the New. Okay? Tell your neighbor that. The old cannot contain the new. Okay? So I remember when I was in college, I used to have, I used to have this, this, white, this white desk where I would sit at, and I would just write all these quotes on, on the desk just so whenever I was studying, whenever I was on that desk, I would be challenged and reminded by those quotes. And one of those quotes was, one, probably my, the, one of the quotes that has stuck with me the most was, it said this, the most important thing is this, to be able at any moment to sacrifice what we are for what we could become. And that, and that quote really spoke to me at a moment in my life where I was being challenged because I lived in a tension between who I was and who I wanted to become. And so when I made the decision to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, I knew there were things that I would need to sacrifice to be who God called me to be. And I'm sure for many of you, you guys all have gone through that journey that when you came to say, I want to believe in you, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. There were things that you had to let go that were old so you can make way for the new that God was going to do in your life. And it was those sacrifices along the way that paved for what God wanted to do in my life. And so this morning is really more of a, I would say more of a, challenge and what I would say my prayer and my heart for you and and my believe my, me believing for you that God has something new for you in this new season that we're about to enter second Corinthians five seventeen says therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away and behold the new has come and so we see there's a spiritual principle here that the old needs to pass away to make way for the new and so as we fasting that is saturated with God's word and prayer reveals in our lives the old that needs to pass away while revealing at the same time what God wants to do in our lives. Okay? And so the question that you and I must wrestle with and that we will be challenged with and we have to answer is, will I surrender the old to make way for the new? Or would I continue to grab hold of the old while looking at the new that God wants to do in my life? And so that's the question I want to ask you this morning. Are you ready to let go of the new to make way for, are you, sorry, are you waiting? Make way, letting go of the old to make way for the new in your lives. And so today's reading is from Mark chapter 2 verses 18 through 22. 
And so let's go to that passage. I'll read it and then I'll go into a word of prayer. And it's Jesus talking with the disciples of John and the Pharisees. And it says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that as you speak to us today, Holy Spirit, we just invite you that you would begin to, to speak to our, to our hearts, that you would begin to speak to our minds, the things, the old things that you're calling us to let go for the new that you want to do in our lives. And we just come already just acknowledging and saying that we cannot do that on our own strength, but we need you, Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I just pray that we would have the strength and the courage to take that leap of faith into all that you have for us that is new. And so, Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so this passage can really be broken down into two points. It can be broken down into Jesus being questioned and Jesus responding to that question. And so we'll, the first thing we'll look at is Jesus being questioned. And we'll look at Mark chapter 2, verse, verse 18. And I'm going to go this verse by verse here, okay? And so verse 18 says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Okay, so we look at this verse here. And some of the things that we have observed from this verse is that there are three disciples that are mentioned here. The disciples of John, the disciples of the Pharisees, and the disciples of Jesus. Okay? And so the disciples of John and the Pharisees, they're fasting, and they notice Jesus' disciples were not fasting. Okay? So they're fasting, and they notice Jesus' disciples are not fasting. Okay, so first, let us establish why the disciples of John and the Pharisees would be fasting. Okay, what would have been the purpose of their fasting? Okay, it was part of Jewish custom to fast. Okay, the Pharisees himself fasted probably twice a week. However, throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus confronted the Pharisees about these ritual practices and the heart behind them as well. So they probably were fasting. It's probably part of their ritual fasting of fasting twice a week. We do it once a year. We, we, we just say, let's just, instead of spreading it out twice a week, let's just all do it one year all at one time in 21 days. And so we see that Jesus confronted the Pharisees most of the time, and he would tell them that, hey, you guys fast because you want to be seen and praised by others, okay? He also tells them that the reason why you fast is that you see it as a means of being justified before God and to demonstrate your spirituality 
okay? There's a reason of why, why the disciples of John and the Pharisees can look at the disciples of Jesus and see, hey, how come you guys are not fasting? And that's because they're most likely putting on this big show, and they don't, and they don't see the disciples of Jesus putting on a show. And actually, they, because this story is found in Luke, they actually see them eating and drinking, and they're like, yo, why are you guys not fasting? And so they're fasting as perhaps part of the ritual practices here. Theologically, why would, it, why would they be fasting, okay? What would be the heart of their fasting? And there's probably two main reasons of why they would be fasting that are crucial here and that are important for this part of the story is that they probably were fasting due to the captive Roman, due to being a Jewish people under captive Roman rule. And so they longed for God's deliverance and restoration of Israel. So they were honestly a nation. They were a people in mourning, longing for God to restore and deliver Israel. And so along with that, along with that longing of seeing Israel's being restored and delivered, they longed for who? The awaiting, the promised Messiah, the one who would come and bring deliverance and restoration. Okay, so part of their fasting was being aligned with these two things theologically. And so a question is asked to Jesus of his disciples, why are your, why are your guys not fasting? Okay, now we see Jesus' response in Mark chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. And it says, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast? While the bridegroom is with them, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Okay, make note of that verse because this story is found in Matthew and in Luke. Matthew chooses to, to interchange fast with mourning. In Matthew, the, the way this passage reads, can the wedding guests mourn while the bridegroom is with them? Okay. And so a note on fasting here is that fasting was, by and large, associated with mourning in that day. Okay? It had a connotation of sadness. Of, that's why in the Old Testament as well, people would put like these, these sackcloth and they would put ashes on them. And it would be a very sad, sad time and mourning. And so fast and mourning, you could say, are interchangeable. That we can look at the previous passage when they ask about the disciples not fasting and simply read it in the same way of Jesus, why are your disciples not mourning? Okay, it could be understood in the same way. Why are your disciples not fasting? In the same way it could be understood and they could be asking Jesus' disciples, why are you guys not in mourning? Do you not mourn in the same way that we do for Israel to be delivered? Do you not mourn in the same way that we yearn for the Messiah to come and bring deliverance? And so they're being questioned. And so fasting was an expression of brokenheartedness and desperation usually over sin, over some danger, or some deeply longed-for blessing. It was something you did when things were not going the way you wanted them to. And so Jesus responds to the, to the questions. And, and he is simply saying, you want to know why my disciples don't fast? You want to know why my disciples are not mourning? Of why they are not sad? And Jesus answers with a word picture that has tremendous implications on who he claims to be, okay? 
I'm not going to lie. Sometimes when I read the Gospels, I'm like, it's, I feel like I'm reading poetry. At least that's what I remember in English class where I was like, what's the point of poetry? Why don't people just say what they want to say? And I feel Jesus is that sometimes where he's like using word imagery and word pictures. But he does this with the word picture of the bridegroom. Okay, and this picture of the bridegroom has tremendous implications for the people in Jesus's day. Okay, and so when we look at this passage, again, we have the wedding guests and the bridegroom. Okay, quick quiz. Who would be the wedding guest? Not Jesus. It would be the disciples. Who would be the bridegroom? Jesus. Okay, and so Jesus is making a tremendous claim for himself here. One of the word pictures used in the Old Testament about God himself is that him being the husband, the bridegroom of his people, Israel. And so Jesus is essentially claiming to be who? To be God. He is claiming to be God and his hearers would have understood the implications of that statement and would have had trouble accepting it. So they would have had, wait, Jesus, you're saying you're the bridegroom? Are you essentially saying that you are God? If you look at the surrounding context of this passage in Mark chapter 2, in the previous verses, Jesus heals a paralytic and forgives his sin. Okay, if you guys are familiar with that story, friends bring a paralytic, and, and the first thing he says, hey, your, sons, your sins are forgiven, and then there's questions among the religious. They're like, who are you to forgive sins? And Jesus goes, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to heal this man? And Jesus says, I'll do both. Your sins are forgiven. Stand up and walk. And, the, and then the question being asked is, who are you? Only God can forgive sins. And so when you look at this passage, the whole context of, of Mark chapter 2, there's a, there's a claim of even when Jesus talks about the Sabbath, that Jesus is claiming to be who? To be God. And so the question is, why are Jesus' disciples not fasting? Why are they not mourning? And the answer is very simple, because God is in their midst. The joy of Christmas as we prepare to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, is that the Messiah has come and the long hoped for prince and ruler of Israel, he has come and he brings deliverance and restoration. Okay, so there's this quote by John Piper, and I didn't bring the book actually. There's a, can I see it real quick? I read it last year before the fast, and it's a phenomenal, phenomenal book on, on fasting, a hunger for God. Honestly, you can read the first three chapters. Honestly, that'd probably be all I recommend. And it's a f- great book on fasting and the heart of fasting and what, how the fasting just awakens our heart for God. And he has this great quote that says, God has come. You simply cannot fast in this situation It is too happy and too spectacularly exhilarating. Fasting is for times of yearning and aching and longing. The absence of fasting in the disciples of Jesus was a witness to the presence of God in the midst of them. The disciples of Jesus cannot fast because they have understood that the Messiah is among them. And that's the thing that the disciples of John and the Pharisees did not understand. They did not understand. They did not understand that God was in the midst of them. But Jesus says to them, but they will be time, there will come a time when they will fast. And that time will be fasting of mourning will be when he is taken away. 
So however, the fasting they have known is not suitable for the new reality that with Jesus' arrival, death, and resurrection, everything changed. And so we arrive to Mark chapter 2, verses 21 through 22. And I'm not going to be too long. In fact, this is now my last point before the closing, okay? It's my Christmas gift to you. <laughs> so Mark chapter 2, verses 21 through 22. And it says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears it away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are their skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Another, I had another way of, that I was going to title this message was, The New is for the Fresh. And as we observe this passage here, Jesus gives us another word picture. Jesus uses here to relate directly to fasting as an old Jewish custom, that fasting was inherited from the Old Testament and has been used as part of the Jewish system of relating to God. If you, if you do not know this, when people, I, I always get confused when people confuse Christianity with being Western, when Christianity has all its influences from being Middle Eastern. A lot of our practices as Christians come from a Jewish context. Our Sabbath comes from a Jewish context. Fasting, all these things, all these things are things we've inherited from the Old Testament and we brought them into our lives. But Jesus changes how we practice those things. And that's what Jesus is showing us through this, pack, through this passage. Is he's saying, the way you fasted in the Old Testament is going to completely change the way you're fasting now because of my arrival, because of my death, because of my resurrection, because of me ascending to the Father and being at his right hand. And so fasting among the Pharisees had become another religious ritual. And Jesus brought those things to light. They use fasting as a means to justify oneself before God. They use fasting as a means to accept praise from others for their spirituality. They use fasting as a means of burdening others. They use fasting as a means of demonstrating external performance while ignoring an internal change. It's easy to perhaps judge the Pharisees when reading these things, but I think in some of these we could perhaps find ourselves. That when they use fasting as a means to justify oneself before God, before God I know I've done that. I know I've, I've, done, I've used religious practices that whenever I've sinned, whenever I made a mistake, I'm like, okay, I'm going to live the perfect holy week now. <laughs> I'm going to go to work. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible until I start. Because you got to recognize that when you sin and you feel the, the guilt, you feel the conviction, then you're like, oh, I feel unclean. And you're like, okay, I'm going to be in the Word. I'm going to go to church. And suddenly you start feeling clean again. You start feeling holy again. You're like, okay, now I'm good again. Until then you're back again, to the same thing. Why? Because we're using our religious practices to make us, to ease our conviction, to ease our guilt, to make us, to justify ourselves before God. They also used it as a means to accept praise from, from others for their spirituality. You know? It'd be like saying, oh man, you walk in, maybe you're one of the few people that comes to EMP. 
and you're and and you're and you're always waiting for P. Sam before the pulpit to go. Who here comes to EMP? You're like, this is my moment. I do. <laughs> And you realize, oh, wow, I actually come to EMP to be praised, and this is my reward here and then. I know I've done that so many times, not for EMP, um, but I know I've done that for so many things, even, even with tithing, with, being, with generosity. It's like, oh, I hope they mention who's given just so I can lift my hand and be like, oh, wow, he's so generous. And so we, in the same way, are, guilt, are guilty, and even as a means of burdening others, I think this is even more so and more dangerous as leaders. And it's something we have to navigate that whenever we're challenging people and pushing people to be more like Christ, that we're also not burdening them. You know, Jesus told the, the, the Pharisees, he said, hey, you put these burdens on people that you yourself are not even willing to carry yourself. And instead of be, these things actually drawing people closer to God, it actually becomes a stumbling for them to draw closer to God. And also as a means of demonstrating external performance while ignoring the internal change in our lives. And I know I've done that with fasting. I know one of the experiences I've had with fasting, I remember I was fasting once, and this was when I had just become a Christian. I was like, okay, we, you're, you're, you, you fast. And so I, I had gone into my room. My room doesn't have a lock or anything. I was I was in college, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to go and fast. I'm praying. I'm worshiping. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get into, into God's presence. And then my mom walks in. She just opens the door. She's like, hey, are you hungry? And I'm like, and I, I don't remember what I said, but I remember I was, I was rude to her. And I was like, oh, I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to fast. Get out of my room. <laughs> and, then I, and then I go back, and I'm like, is this a fasting that is honoring and glorifying to God? Here I am doing the external performance of fasting, but internally there is work that needed to happen in our lives. And so I think sometimes we're more relatable to the Pharisees than we think we are. And so Jesus comes and confronts the old way of religion versus the new way of the gospel. And I, and I like how Tim Keller gives a great side-by-side comparison of religion versus the gospel. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But the new way of the gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Religion says, I obey God in order to get things from God. The gospel says, I obey God to get God to delight and resemble him. Religion says my identity is based on my performance. The gospel says my identity is in Christ and what he has done. Religion says I pray and fast to control my environment. The gospel says I pray and fast to be in fellowship with God. And so Jesus is challenging this old way of religion by bringing in the new way of the gospel through his arrival on earth, through his death, and through his resurrection. And great damage can be done when we force religion on ourselves and on others as well. And so Jesus invites us into a new way of living. And so the danger of this fast that we are about to enter into as a church community, as individuals, is that it can easily become a religious ritual for us. That another year, another fast. It can easily become a a spiritual church obligation. Oh, people are going to ask me if I'm fasting. What am I fasting? 
And so there's a danger in that. And we miss the point of what God wants to do in our lives. And so I want to close now with just really just four, four quick uh, things about, and I'm going to invite the worship team. You guys probably didn't expect that quick, right? <laughs> and so really, and it's really just for us to make time and room for the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts right now in this moment. Here, here when, I, when I was preparing for this message, one of the things that, that convicted me about this passage and this fast that we're about to, to go into was the heartbreaking part of the, of, John, of the disciples of John and the Pharisees is that they miss Jesus. Everything their hearts and souls were longing for was in their midst, and they missed him completely. They longed for the restoration of Israel. They longed for the Messiah to come. And there he was right in their midst. And they missed him completely. Jesus, the Messiah, the reason why they are fasting for it, but they just don't see him. They miss him. And that's my prayer for you as you prepare to go into a season of, of, of seeking God through fasting is that in the midst of it all, that you won't miss Jesus. That, you, that you'll get caught up on all the reasons of, how, of what the fast is and what the fast should look like and how it's going. That in the midst of all of that, of everything that your heart and soul is longing for, that you'll miss Him right in the midst of your life. And so that's my prayer. That's my longing for you. Don't miss Jesus in the midst of your life. And, and it's a challenge because we have to navigate and we have to listen to the Holy Spirit as we go through this. I remember when I was young and I didn't have the maturity. I remember when, I, when, my, when, my, when my grandma got sick and she, and she went to the hospital. And it was the last time that, that, that she was awake. And I, and I remember there, my family said, hey, go visit your grandma and, and I had another church event that day as well that, that I needed to go to. And I'm like, oh, I got I to gotta go serve Jesus. I got to go to church. I got to go. I got to go this. And so I, I go. I said, okay, I'm going to fulfill my obligation and go see my grandma. I say, hi, grandma. How are you doing? Hope you feel better. Bye. And I went to church. And little did I know that would be the last time I would see her alive. See, sometimes we think that Jesus is in the midst of our religious obligations, but sometimes Jesus is in the midst of the people that we're in relationship with. And so we can miss others. We can miss Jesus in the midst of the relationships that are around us in our lives. Second thing is, the old cannot contain the new. That God wants to pour something new into your life but the old must go and so the question is what are you holding on to that God is calling you to let go and that work in your heart that needs to happen for you to arrive to a place of sacrifice and surrender is not one that you can make on your own but can only come through the Holy Spirit 
So this this week we went we went、uh, on a safari tree and we went rock climbing.、Uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I think I'm hooked on it. And so we're so we're we're rock climbing, and there's this one rock where it's kind of like you. So it's kind of like a puzzle. You go from one to another, and and there's one part where it's like, oh, I can't reach it. Or、at least from my perspective, I feel like I can't reach it. But there's other people around her. There's Rachel. There's Caleb, and Caleb just says, "Oh, you got to take a leap." <laughs> and I'm like, "I don't know. That leap and this fall are a bit are a bit scary." And I think that sometimes how it is in our lives that we become so comfortable in the place where we're at that we rather stay there in the old. Rather than take that leap and reach out for the next thing that God has for us, because we've become so comfortable with the old that the new actually scares us. And so I took the leap, and I got it, <laughs> and I made the top. That was another one. I got hurt on another time. I took the leap <laughs> on another time, but it wouldn't make sense for this. But <laughs> so I, I took the leap. And I think that's the thing in our lives that there are things in our lives that that God is challenging, perhaps challenging you to let go. And it, and when I view of how God transforms our lives, I look at it holistically. Sometimes it's a way of thinking, an old way of thinking that God is saying, "This way of thinking, you got to let go of it." And this is a new way of thinking. Sometimes it's our behavior. Sometimes it's it's something that God is saying, "Hey, this old way of doing life." You gotta let go of it. Sometimes it's internal; it's in our heart. Things that we've been holding on to, where God says this old way of doing things, you gotta let it go. And that's the leap of faith that we that we have to take. We have to trust and believe that the new that God has for us is actually a lot better and a lot greater than the old where we're stuck at. And sometimes, guess what? The old is actually phenomenal. It's great. But that's the beauty of being with, of walking with God. That He says that we'll go from glory to glory. That there's greater things ahead in our lives. And so I want to invite you to stand up as we close this time. And so when I was talking about about this book and how it transformed my, at least how it spoke to my heart last year in terms of fasting. Was how Jesus transforms the old into the new, and the and the disciples of John and the Pharisees they were fasting for the for the Messiah to come. And how does Jesus change that? Revelation twenty two became my heart's cry now. Come, Lord Jesus. That is now the longing of my. I don't long for Jesus to come and die. He's already done all that. Now I just say, Come, Lord Jesus. For your second coming, the return of our King to come, and so the longing and aching of our hearts is now the return of our King Jesus, who was crucified and died for our sins, and rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven, and is coming back again. And so, as we go into this time of worship and reflection, bring all these things. I don't know what God spoke to you, but bring it before God. And ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to help you. So, Father, I just pray for each and every person that is here. That as we go into a time of worship, that you would speak to us. 
that you would bring into clarity the things that that are old and that you are and the new that you want to do in our lives and i pray that in the midst as we go into our fastest season that we would not miss you so father we thank you in jesus name amen i'm coming back to the heart of I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I did, but it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you.
Yeah, Father, we thank you for, for your presence in our lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the great revealer in our lives, that you reveal with such gentleness and such clarity and such conviction the old that we need to let go of our, in our lives to make way for the new that you have for us. And so, Father, I pray for each and every person that is here this, this morning that as they step into this season of fasting that they will be challenged and that you will speak to them and reveal to them the things that you are calling them into in this next season of their lives. That they would take that leap of faith and step into all that you have for them. And so, Father, we thank you and we rejoice in our fasting as well that you've changed fasting into, uh, into such a joyous occasion where, where you have already done the complete and finished work at the cross and your resurrection that the worst that life can give us is death and you have conquered that already. And so, Father, we long for your return. We long for your return. Come, Lord Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Shalom. From this day forward, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless and have a great week.